Well, isn't it good to be here? With all this wonderful singing, it, uh, it makes me wonder at least what, it, what is it going to be like in the glory land? There's only one thing I'll not be able to do in heaven. I'll not be able to win a soul. So I sit, think I'll sit down and listen to the music forever. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Boy, what a choir. <laughs> now, I don't think I'll sit down. I'll be in that, I'll be in that fire somehow making my joyful noise and I'll enjoy it too. Now then, tonight I have a marvelous text and a two-part illustration out of my own life. And if the Holy Spirit will just take charge of affairs, I think we'll enjoy this service a lot. I think so. The text, first of all. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, and in verse 10, you have these words. The epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, that's the drive of his argument, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, if he did that for us then, rather, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by or in his life. Now, at the moment, the text might mean a lot, but hold, hold on, just wait a minute. All the time I am being asked by people, where would I like to live uh, if I had a choice? And my answer is always the same. I would like to live where I am living, because having been all over the world, well, most of it, everywhere except Russia and China, I've never found a more beautiful place than where my wife and I live. They say, ah, sure, sure, but if you didn't live there, where would you like to live? And the answer is simple, Switzerland. The most gorgeous country on God's earth where the Lord used mountains to decorate what he'd already made. Every year thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of mountaineers go to Switzerland because they have a passion to climb those majestic mountains way up in the snow. Though I've never done it because they have too much sense to try if I attempted it, both feet would go on strike and I'd be left helpless. But I know how it's done, see? You have to register, first of all, with the government agency because nobody is allowed to climb the Alps without having a professional guide. And arrangements are made that you're going to meet the guide at such and such a place in the morning and that's that. Then they start. 
I wish I had a chalkboard and I could illustrate this for you, but it doesn't matter. I take pictures. The guide meets you at the hotel and says, you okay? And lots of questions. And then they start. Up and up and up above the mountains, above the hotels and streets, around a peak and way back up here and around another peak, and they keep going until your heart is nearly going to burst. And just when you feel like dropping dead, you come to a rest house away up in the mountain. And the guide says, that's all for now. Get the harness off and the, you know. And then he says, hey, come over here. Look down there. And away down in the valley where the, the highways seem as broad as your finger and the buses look like bugs running along uh, and the, the, the big hotels look like old-fashioned matchboxes. Away down there in the haze, the guy says, that's where you were. See? Now come over here. He said, you see up there? And often the sun is about to rise. He said, now, that's where you were, <laughs> but that's where you're going. And some little guy says, I'll never make it. Never, 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 I'll never make it. And the guy says, boy, you're dead right. You never will make it without me. Tie the rope and let's start again. And if you fall, don't get into a sweat. That's why I'm here, to hold you fast. And I'll hold you fast until you get up on your feet, take a second breath, start again. We came from there. That's where we're going. Now then, yes. my text is that mountain lodge. I don't know whether you understand this or not, but I'll tell you. The epistle to the Romans, the first eight chapters divide equally into two sections. The first four chapters talk about the gospel of God for the sinner. That's where you were. The second four chapters talk about the gospel of God for the saint. That's where you're going. And right smack in the middle, chapter 5, is my text. From which you look back and look down. Then you turn around and you look on and you look up. That is the mountain lodge. Now then, first of all, let's look back and down to where once we were. And do you know that Paul uses three tremendous words to describe that? Now, the first one is the martyr lost in the Greek Testament, and that means a sinner. The second one is doulos, which means a slave. And the third one is extras, which means an enemy. And that sums it all up. We were sinners. Well, what does that mean? It means that something had come into our lives without which we would have been far better off. A spot of poison came in and tainted the whole lot. And bluntly, that means we are sinners. Now, I'm not going to insult you by asking if you've ever realized that you're a sinner. Only brainless people would uh, deny that. I, I met one the other day. 
Oh, boy. I don't like stupid women. <laughs> and I like their stupid husbands even less. At, one of, at the end of one of my meetings, uh, uh, well, I don't like to say she was fat. She was well upholstered. <laughs> and she came up the, the aisle like a tank charging into battle, and she said, You said something! I said, Sure I did. What about I don't believe it. Well, bless her, she started to tell me how she never sinned ever. I said, Wait a minute, woman. You never sinned? No. From January the 1st until the end of December, I never sinned. Well, her husband was standing uh, alongside. He was as thin as, well, almost as these blessed microphones. And he was standing there so docile like a poodle dog. I said, hey, sir, this your wife? Yes. Do you hear what she said? She never sinned? She's perfect? Yes. Do you believe that? And the poor guy, he was so scared, he was a brick. Well, blessed, he had to go home with her. I didn't. <laughs> I said, I have news for you, lady. She said, yes, and I have news for you. I said, you are a downright dirty liar. Well, I never stroke mad lions. I shoot them. I said, the Bible says, if any man saith he hath no sin, he deceiveth himself, and the truth is not in him. You're a liar. She said, I have something to say to you. You are a deceiver of the last days, bewitching people with words. Well, I said, would you like to do something for me? She said, what? Go away, madam, and don't come back. <laughs> and bless her, that's exactly what she did. Listen, I don't think there's anybody here tonight who would stand up and blatantly say, Sir, I am perfect. Because our lives are like copybooks. We wouldn't want to turn back too many pages because hidden away in the past there are things of which we are ashamed. We are sinners. Now, if, if I could stop there, that would be wonderful. But the second word that Paul uses in doulos, which means a slave, that's worse. When I admit I am a sinner, this devil of a thing has somehow come into my life and tainted it. But when I'm a slave, that wretched thing has become boss in there. He's got his hand on my throat. He's strangling me. He's choking me. And now I'm in the horrible position. I don't want to do things, but I do them nevertheless, because he's boss and I'm not. I think I am correct when I say that every sensible person in this church who has grown from youth to manhood or womanhood is aware of the fact that with the passing of the years, all sorts of wild animals can be let loose from our souls and suddenly we find out there are powers and passions that we can't control. And oftentimes, because we fail, we feel we are the biggest hypocrites on God's earth. Sometimes we get to the place we're almost ashamed to get on our knees to ask to be forgiven because we've worn out holes in the carpet already. We've been down there so many times. 
A sinner? That's bad. But to be a slave of that damnable sin, that's worse. The third word he uses is extra, which means an enemy. And that's the worst of the whole shooting match. It means I'm a sinner. I've so fallen that that sin is now boss. I'm ashamed of it. But man, it's funny how you can get used to things. And suddenly you don't ask for forgiveness anymore because you rather like what you're doing. It's possible even for a Christian to enjoy doing things for a while that once he used to condemn. Now he's gotten to the place where, ah, to hell with everybody, as long as nobody finds out, I'm doing fine. And Paul says he's fighting against God, he's now become an enemy. That's where we were. As bad as we could be, as low as we could sink, not only sinful and slaves, but fighting against God. And when we were as bad as we could be, God did something for us. He reconciled to God by the death of his son. We had nothing to do with it. It wasn't because we prayed for a month and a half. It wasn't because we promised all kinds of impossible things. We were as bad as we could be, and God sent his son to save us. His precious blood danced with my sin. His indwelling spirit deals with my bondage. And his overflowing love scatters the enmity. And instead of being an enemy, I'm a son of the highest. I was thinking about this the other day and I wrote it down. God's mercy when we were enemies. God's miracle. He reconciled us to God. God means by the death of his son. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's drop anchor for a moment. That's the gospel. Let's get it straight. I was thrilled down to my toes just now, sitting here looking at this audience. As a rough guess, I would say that 75% of those listening to me tonight are under 30 years of age. And for an old man like me, nearing the end of the journey, to see so many young people, I am thrilled. But we are not here because we are nice people. We are not here because we are going to set fire to the world. We are here because God loved us enough to do something about our needs. Out of the ivory palaces, into a world of war, Jesus came and he took our sins and he took our need, and he took our place, and he took our judgment, and glory to God, because he died we live. When we were enemies, glory to God, a light shone in the skies. And out of the ivory palaces he came to save us, and when a man is saved by the grace of God, that's how it happens. Ace is the guide. Come on. Holy Spirit, what do you want now? 
They want you to look. See, that's where you were. Away down in the smog. Out of that valley, the grace of God has brought you. And here tonight in this church, at the beginning of these meetings, you can look back and you can look down and say, Abba, Father. Now then, I said I had a two-part illustration. Number one, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'll never forget it. At the end of World War II, I was in the city of Edinburgh in Scotland and I preached five times. The motto seemed to be among the Christians, the evangelist has come, let us gather together and kill him. Five times I was nearly dead. I was putting on my coat to go back to my hotel when a man and woman came up the aisle and said, Sir, I said, Yes, uh, we hate to do it. I said, hate to do what? Well, see, sir, we know you're tired. You've had a busy day. I said, you can say that again. That's why we are a bit reluctant, but... I said, what's on your mind, lady? She said, we have an after-church service. The British Honduras government bought a hotel down in Lee, two miles away in the suburb. And they've turned that hotel into a rest house for the British Honduras troops who come to fight and aid us in the war. They have this big hotel, and if a man is off duty or a few hours to spare or whatever, he can go there and get a hamburger, a hot dog, or he can write letters home, or he can play games. They bought the hotel for the boys. And every Sunday night after, the churches are finished, we go there for a service. And if only you would come and speak for us, oh, sir, and old softy couldn't resist it. I said, okay, but listen now. If I had known I was being Shanghaied, they would never have gotten me in a month of Sundays. They weren't honest with me. Mind I don't blame them, but I got so mad. I said, I'll come. So they took me out, and outside they had a, a, a an old car that Noah had left behind when he got on the ship. <laughs> it was marvelous going downhill, but oh boy. I sat in the back of this rickety affair, and we drove through the night until I could see silhouetted against the sky the, this big hotel. And uh, I got out. They went round to the back and pulled out a little portable organ that folded up. And she got one end of it and he got the other and I followed behind. And we went in through the entrance to the hotel. I see it yet. That might have been ten... Negroes as black as coal, six feet tall or more, and each of those Negroes had a white girl, a lady of the night, a 
and if looks could have killed, I would have died right there and then. They didn't want us messing things up. They were having a ball. Of course, the man and the lady who had invited me, they knew about this, but I didn't know. I was like Daniel going into the blessed den of lions. I followed. They went to a far corner, put up the organ, got a collapsible chair, put it right, she sat down. She started to play, and he stood up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come for our service, and nobody paid any attention. He said, we're going to start tonight with a hymn, which we did, and three of us sang it. They didn't. And I started to sweat. I was used to standing up and preaching sermons, but this was a new one on me. And only God knows what happened to the sermon. It went somewhere. Because the nearer I got to the time when I had to speak, brother, I was in a flat spin. As I said, and I'm trying to be guarded with my language for reasons that should be obvious to most of us. Man stood up, he said, well, we have a great treat tonight. We have a special speaker, Ivor Powell, a Welshman, and he's going to talk to us. Man, they never even heard the announcement. Now, what would you have done? What would you have done? I said, God help me. And I stood up and I told the funniest yarn I'd ever heard in my life. No gospel, no church, no Christ, no Bible, nothing but a funny story. And the man and wife who had shanghaied me, they laughed their full heads off. And when they started howling with laughter, the nearest black man looked up as if to say, What's up with you? So I told another, and I told another, and I kept going with yarns for 20 minutes until everybody was listening. Then for ten minutes, boy, I fired my guns until the barrels were red hot. And at the end, when I was out on my feet, I said, let's pray. Is there any man or woman here who'd like to be saved? A man, I was only a kid, more or less. I said, if you'd like to be saved, put your hand up. And I saw a black hand go up. And then the girl alongside of him put up her hand. The meeting ended. I got them into a corner and I explained how they could become Christians. They made profession of faith. I said good night, and I was as mad as the devil could make me. I, I don't mind confessing it because of what I'm about to say. Nothing that happened that night was because of my faithfulness. I was mad. Why didn't these so-and-so people tell me the truth and get me prepared? Why shove me into something like this? Ooh, I was mad. Got into that ramshackle uh, miracle and they drove me back to the hotel and the woman said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, good night, lady. And then I went. I didn't have one iota of faith. I didn't have enough brains to know that all things can be made to work together for good to those who love the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the years passed by. This time I was in the city of Glasgow. 
in what used to be called the tent hall. It was a Saturday night and there were 2,500 people waiting, packing the place out. We had our pre-service prayer meeting. We were actually on our feet to go to the platform party, as they called it. When an usher opened the door and said, Mr. Powell, I said, yes, there's a gentleman to see you. I said, I'm sorry, we're on our way to the platform. If anybody wants to see me, tell him I'll meet him after the meeting. Oh, and Jimmy Haxton, who was the minister, he said, Brother Ivan, you know we're going to sing for 20 minutes. And we don't need you on the platform. Uh, you can stay here and see the brother and, you know, uh, come up when you're ready. I said, well, is that all right? He said, of course. So they went and I looked at the usher. I said, uh, bring him in. He yelled up the corridor, mister, you can come. And I waited, and around the doorway came a tall Negro, six feet, two, three, with a white collar around his throat. He said, oh, sir, it's marvelous to see you again. <laughs> I said, again? Uh, I, I'm sorry, but I see a lot of people, and am I supposed to know you? He said, don't you remember me? Sorry, I don't. Well, well, well. Do you remember coming to British Honduras House in Edinburgh one Sunday night after church? I said, don't say it. Don't say it. Yes, mister. I was one of them. He said, wait a minute. He ran to the door. He said, hey, Dad, man, come on in. By this time I was living. And this old couple would Shanghai me, older of course, they came in. That man, what do you think? He didn't know me. He said, sir, you remember that night when I got saved out of the death? I said, yes. You know what happened to me? Dad and mum, well, that's what I call them now. They adopted me. They sent me to school and paid for my education. And when I graduated, sir, what do you think? Uh, they sent me to the seminary. And I graduated last week. And I sail next Friday, sir, to British Honduras, my own country to be the first native missionary to my own people. And he said, when I saw your face in the newspaper and the announcement that you were here, I said, Dad, Mom, I've got to see him. I've got to see him. I've got to see him before I sail. And I remembered the night when I was so mad I could have punched the devil in the nose. Ring! We were enemies as black and as vile and as useless and as guilty and as filthy. When we were hopeless, glory to God, he reconciled us to God Amen. by the death of his son. Amen. Now that's salvation. You can join a church, and that's wonderful. You can join a dozen churches, and that might be even more wonderful. But it's not because of what you do, friend. It's because of what he did. Amen.
It's not because of anything you might achieve. It's because he loves you enough to give you salvation. You don't deserve it, you never will. But that's the love of God that knows no limitation. Okay, I'm back with my lodge in the mountains. And the guide, the Holy Spirit, says, Well, <laughs> have you looked long enough? That's where you were? You, you understand? Yes, yes, yes. Turn around. That's where we're going. Where the sun is arising with healing in his wings. That's where we're going. If, 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 when we were enemies, if he did that for us then, oh boy, much more that child's play. That was the beginning. Much more. Hey, if he loved us when we were useless, he must love us a bit more now because we're not as bad as we used to be. Amen. We're not as good as we're going to be. But thank God we're no longer down there. Tie the rope, boy. Tie the rope. And let's go. Now, wait a minute. Much more we shall be saved. Hey, I thought I was saved. Of course. Well, man, if I'm saved, how can I be saved? It's because growing up to manhood is infinitely more than being born into this world. There's no bigger tragedy to see a man who's been a Christian for 50 years and he's never grown a bit. He's never learned to talk. He's never learned to walk in righteousness. He's never used to gotten used to using his hands, ah, he might as well have been stillborn for all the use he is. They look at me when I'm blunt and I say, if half the church members died, they would never be missed. And if the people who come to church on Easter Sunday morning, if they forgot one, one year, wouldn't cause big tragedy, they'd never be missed. You see, he reconciled me to God by the precious blood of Jesus and I became a member of his family. I was born into his kingdom. But that's child's play. There's a bigger salvation because, see, the same hand that lifted me out of the mire will lift me into the glory. Hey, do you know, lady, You'll never be in heaven. Now, don't talk to me about your testimony and blah, 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 blah. Lady, and since your husband's alongside of him, you, you too. Hey, you'll never be in heaven unless you're like Jesus. You will not be able to find one in the glory land who isn't like Jesus. Beloved, St. John, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. I sometimes think, dear God, you have to work overtime on me. Ivor Powell, huh. Ivor Powell, honest, like Jesus, <laughs> Sorry, Lord, but you, you've got a job on your hands because I'm stubborn clay. And I'm looking at a lot of my cousins. 
But that's the much more of the text. If he did that for us, then much more he'll finish the job. Yes, sir. We shall be saved. Now, there are two possible interpretations. The Greek preposition is N. We shall be saved by sharing in his life. Or, as our Bible says, by his life. Now, you can have whichever you want, or if you're angry, you can have both. Look now. His life, what kind of life? His high priestly ministry before the throne of God. I'm saved by that. Peter? Yes, Lord. Dear, you just said something. What have I said? I'll never deny you. Ha! <laughs> oh, sure, the others. But, Lord, you better understand something. Simon Peter never failed anybody, and he's not going to start now by failing you. If you want to know the truth, Master, then you listen. I'll go with thee to prison and to death if need be, but I'll never deny you. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Hey, you'll do it three times before the cock crows. Ah, Lord. But don't worry. I have prayed for thee. I don't care what the devil will do to you, Peter. I've prayed. And all my prayers are answered. I know what will take place. The devil will shift you like wheat. But when thou art turned back again, strengthen your brethren. Poor old Peter didn't know it. But Christ wouldn't let him go. Amen. Do you know why I'm here tonight after 60, 65 years of preaching? Have I failed? Ah, Peter's nothing compared with me. That poor guy only failed once, as far as we know. You need two computers to check the number I failed. But for all these years, either I have and I am praying for thee. And the end's never in doubt. Amen. Amen. You ever feel like giving up? Amen. You ever get so pulverized by hell's onslaught, you say, oh, God, I might as well be dead. What did they sing just now? Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. You hold you fast, boy. I'm saved. I shall be saved. By his life at the mercy seat. Holy Father! Yes? That little lady down there in Peachtree, Peachtree Road Church, she's having a hard time. Holy Father, she's mine, you know. I want help for her. She's praying for you. That's the one interpretation. The other, I'm saved by sharing in his life. Now, what was the life of Jesus? You see, he didn't come down here as the eternal, the matchless son of God, to deal with my problems as God, because what would he know about it? 
He was made bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he came as the last Adam uh, to show the first Adam how to live. And because he came in the fullness of humanity, he was totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, but he was born of the Spirit, that you know. He came back in the power of the Spirit. Um, he stood up in the synagogue and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, in the epistle to the Hebrews, he offered himself through the Spirit. First to last, Alpha to Omega. He was never filled with the Spirit. You ever see that? Never once was Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit because you only fill something that isn't already full. Amen. If, if, if a vessel isn't full, fill it up, boy. But if it's full, you can't add another spot. My Savior was permanently full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And in grace, I can share in that life because the same divine energy that came and inspired and thrilled him is available for me. I am the vine and you are the branch and my life will flow out of the trunk into you and that's how you will bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, much fruit. So I can share in that life. Sure, unless the channel's blocked. If there's something interfering with the flow of the sap, there's not going to be any good fruit out yonder. And I have to say it because it's true. My brother, my sister, if there's anything interfering with the flow of divine energy in your life, don't pray, you're only wasting your time, you get laryngitis. Rather deal with the hindrance. Amen. You won't have to bother about the fruit if the sap is flowing. If the sap isn't flowing, you can go to an all night prayer meeting seven nights a week, but it won't do any good. The, the thing, the medium, the energy, that which gives life is the divine flow from the Christ to me. If something is hindering it, stop dead, boy, and go and deal with the hindrance. If there's some illegitimate association in your life, never mind who gets hurt, stop it! Deal with it! Throw it out! Until you'll be sharing in his life. And when he fills you to capacity, boy, you'll walk on air. And every moment you'll be getting closer and closer and closer as you climb toward the sun. We are not only saved from the uttermost, we have to be saved to the uttermost. And it's the same gospel and the same Christ and the same Holy Ghost and the same plan and the same everlasting Father. See, that's the tragedy when we become so complacent and so self-satisfied. Oh, glory be to God, I got saved 40 years ago and you haven't grown a mite since. You know what I mean. Oh God, what could happen if every Christian in this church tonight 
We so fully surrendered that we shared in his life. You wouldn't have to have to have to pray for revival because it'd be in every one of us. And we'd go out like radiators and all the people who got near us would say, boy, what's happening? And before we could sneeze 16 times, everybody would know there was a revival in this church. You know I'm speaking the truth. I may be stepping on corn, so if I am, pull your feet back. If, when we were enemies, glory to God, he did that for us. Now he's ready to do this for us. But if a man quit halfway up the mountain, the guy didn't want to take a hammer and knock him unconscious. If I'm going to reach the sunrise, I must reach it because I want to. Tie the rope, fellas, because we're going. And if sometimes you slip, you'll be like I have a power. So do what he does. What's that, guy? Hang on, because I'm holding. And then get up on your feet, take a good breath, and start again. All right. In 1972, I was invited by the Scottish Prophetic Council to go back to Britain to speak every night for six months on fulfilled prophecy in the light of the Lord's return. I couldn't spare six months, but I gave them three months. And I went back in the course of the itinerary, which they planned. I went back to Edinburgh, and I preached one night on the coming of the Lord. I finished. I was putting on my coat. When two old, old people. He was 93 years of age, and his wife was 92. Came up the aisle. Climbed up onto the platform where I was. And in a quaky, wivering, quavering voice, he said, Mr. Powell, do you know me? I said, no, sir, I'm sorry. Should I? Mother, he doesn't know us. She said, well, well, well. I thought, well, I never meant what I thought. It's so nice to see you again, sir. I said, have I seen you before? Have you seen us before? Don't you remember coming on a Sunday night down to relief to British Honduras house? Oh, I said, sir, don't say it. <laughs> Have you heard about our boy? I said, no, what about it? Oh, mother, he hasn't heard about our boy. <laughs> Mister, I will bring the newspaper tomorrow night and you can read for yourself. Good night. God bless you. I wondered if I was in a circus. But he was back, boy, with the newspaper. I knew I'd be getting old, so I got my Bible and I wrote it down. The heading, My Man from Hell. My Man from Hell. The Reverend Alvin Young had just been ordained 
as the district superintendent of all the Nazarene churches in South American countries, the highest award ever given to a native preacher. He was commissioned by Dr. Eugene Stone of Kansas City, the executive secretary of all Nazarene churches in the USA. Mr. Power, that's our boy. In charge of all the South American countries. What do you think of that? <laughs>